G'day guys and welcome to episode 22 of Imperial Rebel Org Podcast. On today's episode, I'm talking whether or not to drill or not to drill when it comes to the little tiny gun barrels on our models. And the hobby spotlight is going to be a special interview with Mark A. Morin. Pick up the brushes, pick up the paints, pick up the models and crank the music because it's time for The Imperial Rebel When I first got back into the hobby late 2014, early 2015 roughly, I, uh, yeah, I just started taking photos of the models I'd built and painted and, and didn't think anything of drilling holes out of guns until one of my blog buddies, I'm pretty sure it was Alex from Lead Balloony, said, whoa, 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 why haven't you drilled the holes out of the gun barrels? Now, at first, I won't lie to you, I thought, that's a, that's a bit over the top, isn't it? A bit excessive to worry about drilling holes in tiny, tiny plastic guns. But I gave it a go, and I liked it. I didn't have a drill at the time. Didn't have the drill bits in the drill, you know, the little one you can buy from places that's just like a little hand drill, little mini miniature hand drill, which is <laughs> kind of cute, actually. I didn't have that, so I used the very pointy tip of my uh, my scalpel or my sharpie blade, whatever you want to call it, and sort of you know just did that twisting motion to to scrape out um, some of the inside of the end of the barrel. A little bit tricky, and obviously you've got to be very careful, otherwise you could slash your wrists. But I quite liked it. I looked at it and went, oh yeah, I kind of see what he means now. Then once I'd painted the miniature, my trial one. I was, yeah, I was like happy. I was like, yeah, actually that makes a big difference because before, especially with bigger weapons, I think like orc, big shooters and stuff like that, um, you, you know, to see that flat piece at the end of the, the gun, it really destroys the illusion. So now pretty much any time within reason, if I can get the drill bit in there, then I'm going to drill out the barrels every single time. Unless it's like, you know, something like a LAS rifle, which is, I think, a bit too small um, and a bit too crazy to try and, you know, um, <laughs> scrape out or drill out the internal section of the barrel of a LAS rifle. That's, that's, that's madness. So now it's one of those things, it's almost like an OCD thing now. I have to do it. If I don't do it, the model's incomplete. You know, it's like it's like scraping off all the seam lines. You you have to do that. You can't. You have to do it. And yes, it's all fantasy and make believe and rah rah rah. But I don't know. You still want that realistic look to your models. And if you see some seam lines going around its head, or you see the gun barrel sort of blocked off at the end. Um, yeah, as I say, it kind of destroys the illusion and you sort of go, ah, it's a bit second rate. <laughs> so it got me thinking about what else I'm sort of obsessed with and what, what things I have to do with a miniature. Like I can't let it go without these, ticking these certain boxes so that when I look at it, I go, yes, now it's complete. Now it's ready to be photographed and put on display. So as I say, the gun barrels and the seam lines. Now that's a given, but... It also comes down to things like the eyes. If the eyes aren't um, looking straight ahead, or, you know, not straight ahead, but if they're not lined up with each other, if they're cross-eyed, 
<laughs> that's a no-no, and I try, I really try to fix that. Now it's, it's we'll talk about eyes on another episode, but it's it's bloody. I find it bloody tricky to get the pupils exactly right, but I persevere until I get it as best I can, um, because otherwise I'm always going to look at that model and go, "You cross-eyed freak." Another one for me, which is a common a common one, I would say, is that you don't want gaps. So if you've especially if you've done some converting. You don't want to see holes in the torso or where the legs meet the torso or the arms meet the torso, whatever. You don't want to see gaping holes because that doesn't make any sense. Unless you fill that hole with uh, blood for the blood god, <laughs> then that's okay because then it's a severe wound. But usually you want to fill that gap. And as I've mentioned in a couple of episodes ago, I use um, bicarb and superglue. You can also use green stuff or liquid green stuff I hear is pretty good for, for gap filling, especially those really narrow gaps. The other main one for me, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other little ones, but the other main one for me is when you've, or when I've finished the model uh, and it's been based and everything like that, um, I need to paint the, the rim of the base, so the exposed section of the base. So you've got, you've got your flock or stones or grout or sand or whatever it is on top of the base, and then you've got your miniature. But that little outer rim that you can see, I need to paint that um, usually black. Depends what I'm doing, but most of the time it's black. I need to paint that black because I don't want to see any little carryover from like the paints or the flock or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? Like it's got to be a, a perfectly round black circle. <laughs> Bloody hell, princess. What else do you need? All the uh, planets to align and a foot rub as well? In a future episode, I'm looking to talk about OCD or the little mad habits that you've got little things you need to do, the way you set up your uh, table, your workspace or whatever it is. We've all got our little quirks and, and ways of doing things and I think it would be interesting to sort of discuss it, discuss how I go about things as well. Um, and just wanted to shout out to The Imperfect Modeler who gave me that idea. Look him up on WordPress, theimperfectmodeler.wordpress. Um, brilliant stuff. I did a uh, hobby spotlight on him back in ooh, episode nine, I think it was. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to give Mark A. Morin a call. He's in America, so I hope the uh, time delay isn't um, going to hinder the conversation. Um, but I just wanted to uh, mention, uh, I got an email a little while ago from a fella called John, who was keen to hear a bit more of my music. God knows why. I don't know. It's a bit, it's a bit strange, the, uh, the music I've been doing lately. Um, <laughs> but it's been, it's been a bit of fun as well. So I'll play a song now. It's called Exit Via Level 1, and uh, that will lead us into the interview with Marky Mark.
I'm in Australia, so there might be a bit of a delay. Well, hello. Is that Marky Mark? It is. How are you? <laughs> Good, man. How are you? Good. How's the audio? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, we're recording already. Um, oh. Yeah. Hello, world. We're straight in. I like to go straight in, keep it pretty raw if that's cool. <laughs> Excellent. There's a bit of a delay, of course, with the international sort of uh, space there, so we'll just uh, give each other a bit of time, I suppose, if that's cool. Does that make sense? It does. I thought about that because uh, even at the speed of light, it's a long way to Australia. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, that's right. It's really good to have you on the show. Um, I know you're pretty keen right from the word go, pretty much, so I was excited to have you on board. Um, so we've been following each other via the blog and now Instagram as well over the last... The blog, I think, has been about five years, is it? About that, yeah. yeah. I think we started very close to the same uh, time and uh, don't know how our paths actually crossed, but they did and here we are well I was doing things like uh, when I first started the blog I was doing things like typing into the search engine on WordPress things like diorama um, model soldiers um, you know lead soldiers lead miniatures all that kind of thing so I'm guessing I found you that way I think so and I remember you know jumping on your blog as well and seeing things that were new to me because you know um, you know, my whole re-entry into the hobby was was more or less uh, uh, like coming out of a time machine. Yeah, you'd had uh, what thirty? No, not not quite thirty years, but it was like twenty odd years, was it, Actually, since you'd been playing? Yeah, thirty thirty three years. Wow. Um, okay. So that was that really. That... Sorry, you go. No, thirty three years. Uh, 
I in my first blog, and actually that got me also into the blogging aspect because I hadn't even looked at that or known how that works. But um, yeah, uh, you know, life and kids and army stuff and uh, a lot of things have gotten away um, until I decided to get back into it. Yeah, it's the way it goes sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Life, life's funny. You know, when you have uh, a family, that you know that comes first, as, a, as, a, as I know you know. So what was it that made you want to get back into the hobby, though, after such a break? Well, well the, you know, I guess to, to explain that, I have to kind of explain what got me into it to begin with. Yeah, please do. Um, when I... W- yeah, when I was at West Point, and, and some folks who follow the blog know that I, you know, I went to West Point um, and graduated, you know, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth in 1984. <laughs> and when, when I was there, um, I had previously been a war gamer, even from high school, where I played a lot of Avalon Hill war games. And these were board games that were little cardboard cutouts of units. So I played Waterloo, I played Africa Corps, um, I played Victory in the Pacific, and a, a lot of and Panzer Leader, and a lot of different games. Were they were they um, similar to like cut- were they similar to Risk that kind of type of game? Um, only in the extent to the extent that they were board games. Okay. Um, yeah. For example, um, when you had a game like Waterloo, uh, Waterloo was a recreation of the Battle of Waterloo, and you would have all the units that were at Waterloo, and I think they were as brigade and divisional size. So you would have a little cardboard cutout of a little chit, you know, that would fit on the face of a coin. It would have usually one, two, or three numbers in the bottom. One was for movement, one was for attack, one was for defense. Um, and you would, you know, be able to stack units together and you would have a combat results table and you would have, uh, you know, the effects of the terrain that you had on the board. Okay, um, yeah. And, you know, that was... And, and, and that was so you could have different levels like for example Waterloo was at a very high strategic level yep. um, and then you played a game like Panzer Leader and you might be dealing with platoon level uh, you know you'd have a, t- a platoon of tiger tanks or a platoon of, of, of infantry or, or what have you um, and you you know obviously would have Brits or Americans or French or whatever yep. period you had um, and then you know Victory in the Pacific and War at Sea which were the two ones that kind of got me started they were actually naval games, and you were fighting that at a very strategic level. But the ships were individual, so you would have the, you know, you would have the Iowa, you would have the Yamato, you would oh, have cool. the Turpets. Um, so, yeah, but these are, you know, these are games you could knock out in anywhere from one, two to four hours, depending on the strategic level and of do you, the game. Do you feel and that your Do you feel that your military background? You're an engineer, is that right? Well, uh, my, my training is in, in, in West Point is basically everybody goes to West Point. You're, you go through a significant amount of engineering, at least you did when I was there. Okay. Um, yeah. So everybody is trained as an engineer. And then subsequent to that, I went, when I graduated, I was branched aviation. So I actually flew helicopters for a little bit until I figured out that I was not a very good pilot at all. <laughs> um, uh, you know, when, you, when you've got a nickname uh, at one of our events of mid-air mourn because I came close to having a mid-air uh, collision at family day, that was fun. Um, so you weren't, so you I, weren't I um, an engineer. I, I ran, 
You weren't involved in Black Hawk Correct. Down by any chance, were you? <laughs> no. That's Black, good. Funny you should say that. When, when Black Hawk Down happened, uh, that was literally within months of me getting out of the Army. Oh, really? So, oh, wow. Um, I got out, yeah, I, I got out in 92. Um, and before that, again, I didn't do aviation for very long, so I have flown helicopters, so I can always say I did that. Wow. But I went, I went into the branch of in, uh, the Army called the Corps of Engineers. So very similar. In fact, I did actually work with an Aussie uh, engineer at the engineer school. Uh, we had a, uh, a seminar on uh, low-intensity conflict, and it was very cool because the, the Aussie major uh, uh, brought us in there. I think there was two or three of us. We went over to his house, and, and uh, he had some Australian beer, which was not Foster's. He said Foster's was not the typical Australian beer. It was something you'd know, and I don't remember it now. Yeah, we don't, we we don't, drink, we don't drink Foster's. about low-intensity conflict. <laughs> so would you uh, would you say your military background would you say that's helped you be more strategic in in war gaming tabletop war gaming I think it's been useful in terms of I mean I'm, I'm strategic in, in thought anyway uh, West Point does tend to wire you at some point um, to be very methodical and very strategic and to kind of figure things out I can imagine so I'd say yes yeah, okay, okay. So, so let's leap forward a little bit. So that, that was back in the eighties when you first got into it, and then thirty years later, you got back. You got back into it again. Um, right. What, what was it that really drew you back? Like, so you obviously went from like the like you said the little cardboard chips. What what you know drew you into uh, miniatures? Actually, having the little toy soldiers on the table instead of just bits of card and stuff. Well, when I was at West Point, I had a roommate. We played those table bar, the, the board games we just described, and he, his name was Dave Wood. And Dave took me, he was from Michigan, and uh, he knew another guy from Michigan named Buck Serdu, who was a year behind us. And so he said, hey, would you like to go? We're going to go play um, uh, a fantasy game uh, up in the Department of Foreign Languages. It was on a Saturday. So they'd taken one of the small classrooms, put all the desks together, and threw uh, an olive drab wool blankets over the table to simulate turf because people didn't have maps or anything back then. Okay. And all over the table were, were all these, you know, it was, it was like the, you know, the Battle of the Five Armies or something from The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings. Cool. And I was like, you, you could do this. Um, I, I had no idea. And so I, I was immediately smitten. I, I started painting some things, and actually I ended up getting some Prince August molds and trying to cast my own armies because it was so expensive, even back then, to try to you know put anything together. So I thought that might be cherry. I got fishing lead and melted stuff in my mother's and parents' house over the stove and tried to make an army. And I still have all those miniatures. Wow! So you um, were but, so you, you were know, doing the you were doing your own casting even back then because I know that's something you've continued with, but I didn't realize you'd start it back then right well the, the the casting prince august and i believe they still do sell they sold moles but you know their, their quality control well first of all i was using fishing lead which isn't pure lead so that's not the greatest <laughs> wow. mix of, of things you want to use but um you know you want to use a little bit of lead, lead and some tin and, and, I'm, and i'm certainly better at it than than then than are now than then you also need to watch temperature control, which temperature control back then was, they, Prince August said stick a wooden matchstick into the lead and when it smoked, it was hot enough, which uh -huh. I don't think is really a, a quite quite quality control. <laughs> but yeah, so I created, 
I created a bunch of miniatures, painted them up. I, I, I look at what I painted back then, and I'm like, oh my God, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and then all that stuff went into storage. Um, uh, I got married twice, and three times actually, and divorced twice, and, oh, and engaged five times. So I only get, I only get, mar- I only get married sixty percent of the time that I get engaged. <laughs> so that's very well put. I like that. <laughs> so uh, I was li- I was living with my current wife, and and uh, I I had all my paints and everything stored up from the eighties, and this okay. is probably again back around around 2014, 2015, and my wife decided she was going to rearrange the cellar and clean it out. Now, this stuff had just sat there, and I'm like, you know, don't touch it. I'm going to eventually get back to this. Is this around about the time you had the fire or something in the chimney? Something happened with, this, with the... Yeah. Yeah, okay. You tell the story. Yes. Yes, a brilliant memory. I, we had a fire in the chimney. Um, I won't get into that story, but it, it was just comical how that thing happened. Um, and so we had to have the whole chimney demolished and the cellar redone because the hearth was underneath and get rebuilt. So things had to be moved. And part of it was I was like, okay, I got all these miniatures and everything. Uh, I don't want them screwed up. Yeah. And so I started, I said, geez, I have this unit that I basically primed um, in the first Reagan administration called the uh, the uh, Nightmare Legion. It's the very first blog post I think I did as well. And I had a bunch of grenadier old uh, monsters and demons and things. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to start painting them. So I actually went through my paints. Were they the skeletal like region, uh, Legion guys? Yes, there was a Citadel product called the Nightmare Legion. Citadel came out with a bunch of products called the, the Regiments of Renown. Right. Um, so they had a, like an elven one, they had a skeleton one, they had a uh, um, dwarven one. They, they had numbers of these things, and they were boxes. So these were really expensive to get back in the day. And these were le- these, these were miniatures. Yeah, I, I have some plastic and some resin, but I'm still pretty much in in the lead range. Um, so I'm I'm kind of a more of a metal guy. Yes, yeah, so um, but these these uh, these Citadel ones you're referring to, the the Nightmare Legion or whatever they were called, were they were they lead? Yes, they were lead. They, they ah. came with plastic uh, bases. Right. Um, so they were they were metal, um, and so they were and they were you know Games Workshop product. I had primed, again, I literally primed them 33 years before that. And so once I got out, I looked at them and go, you know, I got to paint these. And so that kind of really kicked me off that and the old Grenadier uh, stuff that I had. And then, um, I, you know, I started looking on eBay for things. So it was, it, I always say it was like a time machine. And that's what my hobby kind of is is that I try to do things that are what I think are cool that people don't either know about, have never seen, or have forgotten. I've got to say, and, I've got to say, because uh, I'm I'm not well versed in all miniatures and all games and stuff like that. That's that's for starters. But I've also got to say that uh, yeah, a lot of the stuff you put up on your posts, as intriguing and as interesting as they are, I'm sort of scratching my head, going, "What now? Like what? <laughs> what are these?" And then when and then when you throw into the mix that you've cast your own ones as well, I'm like, okay, so you're making your own ones up as well, and you've got like some of my to, to be honest with you, some of my favourite ones are the most obscure ones, like your uh, like your star ducks. Now, was that is that your own concoction, or is that is that you remaking something of old? 
Zarducks um, were kind of a nod to uh, Buck Serdu, who's a game producer whose website you should uh, definitely check out. He's, okay. uh, and I've worked with him on some projects too. But Buck loved ducks for whatever reason. Um, <laughs> when we used to play a, a a tunnels and trolls scenario that you the tunnels and trolls back in the 80s was a competitor to dungeons dungeons and dragons so it was a just a, it was a similar kind of thing but it was a different game system okay and buck had a buck had a misprint on one of his scenarios where instead of writing guards and this is before spell checking existed he wrote g-u-r-a-d-s gurads right and so he created because he misspelled that he created a whole line of, of warrior ducks called Gurads. Um, <laughs> it's the Imperial Rebel Org Podcast. Yeah, it was really cool. So he, he was very fascinated with ducks, so I kind of liked that. And then on eBay, I found um, there was this company called Archive, which went out of business in like 1982. So really probably went out of business just about when I first saw my first miniature. Okay. And they they were they were run by a guy named Neville Stockin, who's still alive in Texas. He's actually a, a Brit that moved to, to, to uh, the US. But he had a company called Archive and they did all kinds of different sci fi miniatures and a game called Star Rovers. Really, really cool and really, really ahead of their time type things. Uh, but he ended up, um, you know, the company went out of business, the moles went who knows where. So these, these things are hard to find. So I saw these, and they're like, there's ducks with, with, you know, cigars in their beaks, helmets on, and ray guns. <laughs> yeah, they were cool. I remember the, uh, I remember uh, the, yeah, I remember the Duck Vader one, that was my favorite. Well, that's the other one he came up with. And so the, the game, the, the molds and the licensing went from company to company. So some of this stuff uh, was made by other, or produced by other people under different names um, yep. as time went on. But they're but they're really obscure and they're really rare and they're funny to look at. You're looking at a, you know you look at Duck Waiter or Duck <laughs> and I guess they call him Duck Vader. And he got a duck in in, in um, Duck Vader's or Darth Vader's gear with yeah. a lightsaber. <laughs> that's funny. That's, that's funny. why that's why I love it so much because it's just so out of the box. It's so out of the square. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 quirk. Like you said, it's so quirky that it's very very cool. I love it. Well, the nice thing, too, is that Buck wrote some rules for uh, a game called Combat Patrol World War II, which was a skirmish game for um, World War II. But it's been adapted to many different other games, uh, the Falklands, uh, the Winter War, uh, even down to... And so there was somebody that wrote a supplement for it, for uh, a guy named Greg Preeb, who's a friend of Buck's, who wrote a supplement for Star Wars. Wow. Cool. And so I just took a lot of the Star Wars concepts and rolled them into, uh, I have run games at conventions using, you know, where there's, you know, with his duck, duck waiter and the Sarducks fighting other old archive things that nobody ever saw before, like, you know, uh, war bots and all kinds of things. And the, did they, did they fight the aphids on grav cycles at one time as well? <laughs> Yes, the, 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 the aphids, you can actually, somebody's still got the molds for the aphids on grass cycles. I found a platoon of those. Yeah, um, so that's, that's, and that's, that's, and that's, that's so obscure. Like, that's what I mean. That's It's like finding a rare record by the Beatles or something. You know what I mean? Like, that's how weird and wonderful your collection and your, your interesting quirks are. I love it. 
appreciate and, and I appreciate all the folks that including yourself that you know have the GW stuff. I, I and, and I definitely relate to your lack of of comprehension of the of the of the 40k world rules because I I can't you know I know since though I haven't really tried. I've got so many things that I'm, I'm you know working on. Um, you know now I'm doing uh, some other things. But you've uh, even you've, from um, the you've rewritten the rules or not rewritten, but you've done supplements for several uh, rule sets, haven't you? Like you did the you wrote some fantasy uh, rules back in the day or when you first started the blog, did you? Yes, I did. Well, when I did originally back at West Point, Buck had, remember I told you about playing the fantasy game, but Buck had a yeah. set of rules that were very, very, very raw, um, and they were good rules, and I, I rewrote them and in the in the 80s on my Apple IIc computer. Uh, <laughs> so I had those printed off and I had saved them and then once the you know computer age got better, they um, I was able to scan in those rules that I printed off and got them on my regular computer. Um, they were probably not the greatest set, but I mean, it was my first set of rules that I wrote and they were functional and um, they, they were fun. Um, and then subsequent to that, I, I wrote scenarios and rules for um, the games that I run at conventions. So I, I take those figures you described for sci I run big sci-fi battles um, using those figures. But I take Buck's rules and I modified them for um, running my scenarios. And same thing once I discovered What a Tanker and I started doing that for What a Tanker and making uh, scenarios for the Desert War or for Normandy or for you know France 1940. And then recently I wrote um, a supplement because Buck is, is launching a, a similar game to Combat Patrol, but it's, it's for the Pike and Shot era and earlier. So from the 16th century all the way back to the ancients. So that's uh, your, you that's your, as, a, a that's your Aztecs? Yes, yes. Yeah. And, I, and, the, and a funny story about the Aztecs. Uh, when I first got into the hobby, I, again, being, feeling like I've come out of a time machine and everybody's doing something different, and I kind of wanted to catch up on what I missed. Yeah. And what I missed was a lot of the stuff in the 80s. So I found on eBay somebody was selling a block of, it uh, must have been like 20 blisters of Ralpartha, 25 millimeter Aztecs, and I bought them. And they sat, and in, in some of them were still sitting, um, in a box <laughs> waiting for some project for me to do. So when Buck said he was going to write this, I said, you know, I'd really like to do something for Aztecs, but I'd really like to try to do 28 millimeter versus 25. And, you know, some 25 millimeter figures you can kind of get away with in 28 millimeter games because they're, they're not too, too different from a difference. But that's, yeah, so I volunteered to write that. Um, it took me several months, and then once in this, this year in March, there was the coronavirus you might have heard of. And so <laughs> yeah, I, I have took the that. entire month. Yeah, I, I took the entire month and didn't paint anything, and I just did research because I knew about the 16th century vaguely. I knew that, okay, the Spanish came in, they conquered a lot of Central America and Southern America, um, and there were the Incas, and there were the Aztecs, and there were the Maya. And I, all right, do I really know the difference between the three of them? Um, and do I really know the details of the history? Uh, and I'm telling you, man, th that history, oh my God, is there, uh, the, the twists and turns of that era 
and what happened. Um, it's not well known, I don't think, to most people probably outside of maybe Mexico or Ecuador. Yeah, you know, where, to, they, where those folks were. I've got to admit, I um, yeah, I'm, I'm sketchy at least at, at most with that kind of era. But it's something like even briefly reading through some of your rules that you sent, you kindly sent through to me. Um, yeah, it's definitely sparked a bit of an, an interest with the conquistadors and all that kind of thing. So yeah, I think I might have to do a bit of Wikipedia searching on those guys. Well, you like the grimdark, and I don't think there's anything much more grimdark than a, a, a group of Aztecs who fight not to kill your enemy, but to disable them so you can drag them back, stretch them across an altar back at your hometown, <laughs> and cut their heart out of them while they're alive. That sounds or, very or much my in, cup of tea. You see, that's, that's the thing. That, that actually happened. Yeah, <laughs> that's scary. That's scary. <laughs> so what's, uh, what's been the most uh, appealing thing for you getting back into the hobby? Like, what is it? What's that, what's that big tick in the box for you that you go, I just love this and I want more of it, you know? Well, I, I, I don't think it's a narcissistic thing, though. There may be an aspect of it to it in that, and it, you know, the blog helps. Is oh, I like course. to create something or, or run a game where other people can look and go, oh, man, that's cool, like yourself. I mean, there, to me, there's nothing more rewarding than somebody either playing one of my games at a convention and coming up and saying, that was a great game. You, you really nailed it, and yeah. you've got this stuff down or you know somebody look at it and go man I've never seen that before that's really cool that's my niche I mean I, if I was a 40k guy I don't know if I would be that good at what I do and I'm saying that kind of trying to be sound somewhat humble but I, I, I know nobody else that I've seen on on the uh, on the net or anywhere is kind of doing what I do yeah no um, I've, I've never all, I've never seen anything quite like your stuff that's for sure and and believe me um, like I guess you've probably picked up I'm not really a, a, a gamer anyway. Like, it's more about the, the hobby aspect for me. But you know what? I would love to have a few beers with you at your house and play some Star Ducks versus the Aphids. <laughs> that, to me, would be, be so much fun. <laughs> so what's... Uh, I was going to say, what's... what's um, with the hobby, looking back over the years, what's been your most proudest achievement? Is it is it writing the rules, or is it something more hobby, uh, you know, the hobby, like the craft aspect, or? I think they're all like my kids, um, and that you love them all. I mean, I love what I've done with What a Tanker. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love what I've done with the Aztecs. Um, I know, I know you because you have one. I mean, you have my my golf ball tank. Uh, oh, I was going to get to that. I, I was going to get to that. Yeah, I love the uh, the Mark One yeah, Sphere tank. That's that's brilliant. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm really proud of just conceiving something that I think I'd like to do. That I mean, the the, the Sphere tank we can get to if you, you know if you like but yeah look it, you, it, let's get into that you, you could talk about your casting now and uh, yeah explain to the good people at home what the Mark 1 Sphere Tank is well the Mark 1 Sphere Tank was a project that I put together based on a 1936 copy of the magazine Popular Science so what it was was they, they were predicting in 1936 in that magazine the future tank and this tank was a it basically was a ball. It was a spear tank where it had two concentric rings instead of tracks. And you, these two concentric rings would move and move the tank. It had a double hull, so the hull inside would stay solid, would stay in one place where the outer side rotate, outside rotated. It had any gas protection. And it, it, it's just, 
it just was quirky as hell. And I saw yeah. it in a wall of a restaurant where they had old magazine covers on the wall and oh, wow. Cracker Barrel. And, that, and, uh, and I said, man, I, I took a picture. That is so cool. And I dug up the article and I'm like, this is just ridiculous. So I, I said, well, you know, maybe I was doing some casting and I'd want to sculpt something. And I'm also a golfer and that thing looked like a golf ball to me. So <laughs> I... Basically, took, I took a golf ball, a Callaway golf ball, because I thought it would look cool, and I and I measured very carefully, and I cut in rib, rig. Uh, I basically created the ball as one piece, the weapon as the main weapon, a second piece, and there's two sides, sponsons. And I was yeah. also inspired by the 1953 movie War of the Worlds, where you had the, the um, aliens with the long, the hovering ships with the long neck ray guns because that was one of the movies as a kid I always looked at that was just such a cool movie right movie uh, the original War of the Worlds and so I you know I, I put I created everything I sculpted it uh, I made uh, a couple I think two or three different molds for it and um, you know it, it was a rather large thing to cast the main the main body I actually have to cast very slowly because I don't spin cast which some, you know, like in the old days when you would buy miniatures or even today metal miniatures, there's a big mold and there's a centrifugal force. They pour the, the metal, the molten metal in the middle, and it sends it out to the to the mold. And, and the force of the centrifugal spinning is what uh, makes the mold. Okay, I didn't know uh, that. I didn't know that. That's interesting. And I don't have a setup or a rig for that. So I'm basically making a mold and making one at a time and, and jiggling it and trying to make sure the metal is the right temperature. And then you, with, the, with the main body, you actually have to let it cool enough because if you pull the mold apart, it's a two-piece mold, um, it'll still be molded and slow out. So the, the nice you, thing spe- is speaking of that, melt it up again. Speaking of that, do you, do you get a lot of flash? Like when you first uh, open up the mold and take the miniature out, is there a lot of flash that you've got to cut away or file away? Um, well, you have the one that I, so no, you don't usually get, a, you'll get some, but it okay. depends on how you've made the mold, and there's really an art to the mold, and the mold making as well as the casting, Yeah, and imagine. then you have to kind of, you have to make sure you have the right pressure, um, when the me- hot molten metal goes into the mold, there has, I mean, it's going to displace air, well, the air has to have a way to get out of the mold, so you have to make vents in the mold, and, and, and a lot of that is kind of a, trial and error with every you know casting that I've done um, so to make it work so did but, someone yeah. did someone originally show you how to cast miniatures or is this something like you say trial and error but is it something you read about or watched a YouTube tutorial or how did you first know how to do casting I actually never saw a YouTube it was more just kind of learning on my own there was a company wow. out in Washington that sold uh, a lot of Prince August molds, but they also sold um, a mold-making uh, kit, and they had a kit that you could buy and you used a, a two-piece uh, non-vulcanizing rubber, room-temperature vulcanizing rubber. So it becomes it becomes a hard mold, but you don't have to put it like vulcanizing rubber. You actually have to put it in the stove under under pressure and heat and my wife was going to kill me if I ever did that <laughs> uh, so I needed something that I could do that I wasn't going to be hey honey I, you can't cook tonight because I um, actually got something with clamps and, and it might explode <laughs> in, the, in the oven um, that would have gone over quite badly so I, 
I, I, I learned how to do this. Um, I've since learned that there's issues around um, copyright, so I, I'm careful not to violate people's copyrights uh, okay. anymore. Yep. And for those, for those of you listening, I haven't violated anybody's copyright. I'm good. Um, <laughs> I've got permission from anybody that I make anything for myself. You know, Big Brother's, you know, Big brother's always Big Brother's always listening and watching. You know that. You're listening to Imperial Rebel Podcast, and Eero is interviewing Mark A. Morin. Yeah, well, it, it's funny because in the UK, I guess the laws are a little bit different. So I've, I've been called out on some of my posts and posts from, from other blogs, not blogs, but other boards that I never even heard of. Wow. Um, as maybe being a as being a pirate, which um, you know, I don't think I'm a pirate, but uh, <laughs> don't worry, guys. I'm, I, I, my rule is if somebody's selling something, I will not make a mold of it. If somebody has, if I can buy it from you, I will buy it from you. It's a lot less work for me. Um, I see. So I but if it's completely, if there's a miniature or a product that's completely uh, discontinued and no one's selling it anywhere on the on the web, then you will uh, go down that path. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and it's it's similar to what you're doing with with uh, with your kit bashing, and that you're taking pieces from here and pieces from there, yeah. and you're making something for you. Yeah, I think okay. that's basically what I'm doing. That's cool. Um, okay, so we you mentioned just briefly before you do you've written the supplement for the the Aztec project you've got going on. So is that the is that the main thing you're working on at the moment, Mark? Yes, right now I've got uh, completed forty. Again, to talk about diving in with with both feet. Um, I've bought, and I've actually got some from Australia, from Eureka Miniatures uh, out of Australia. Oh, I've got brilliant. some yeah. from Outpost War Game Services. Uh, I've got a bunch of Foundry. Right now I'm mainly focusing on the Foundry and the Outpost War Game Services Miniatures. They're 28 millimeter. So I've got 48 completed um, Aztecs. I've got another 21 uh, about stage on the board right now. And um, I've got uh, conquistadors, and the conquistadors had Indian allies called the Talaxcalan, so I've got them. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I'm working on painting with the goal of eventually running. Because in, in my rules, I have a couple of scenarios, so I, I've got to come up with some terrain and things for that down the road. But hopefully to bring to a convention game uh, at some point or, or, or my club that I, cre- that I also created. I've got to say, the paint work on your Aztecs uh, of recent is, has been really, really cool. I'm loving those shield designs, but also I'm loving the, um, the, photo- the photography you're doing with the backdrops. That looks really cool, like having the, the Aztec kind of, uh, you know, terrain sort of and jungles and stuff in the background. It, it just for me, it really adds to the photo, you know, it really sells it. And I think, I think that's important, you know what I mean? I agree, and I, it, it was coincident with your post on photography that I was listening to that uh, I actually decided to do a, a new backdrop. I had been doing a backdrop on my Aztecs, as somebody that would look on my blog would see, but then after I heard your post, I, I said, you know, I, I, I've got to get a couple of different um, more backdrops so people aren't looking at these posts and just seeing the same thing in the background. So I changed that around, and it's all due to you, Luke. That's oh, why. Cool, I, man. That's that's a nice that's nice of you to say. I think for me, I think it just really sets the mood, sets the scene, you know. And and yes, at the end of the day, it's little toy soldiers. <laughs> but I don't know. I think if you're going to take a photo, then make it the best you can. You know what I mean? Absolutely, and they, you know when you're taking a 28 millimeter or 25 millimeter miniature, and you're taking a close-up picture of it, um, you know if the lighting and everything works well. Yeah. I, I actually discovered that my my spray uh, painting booth that I use for airbrushing 
um, it works brilliantly for taking pictures because ah, it's okay, that's cool. Um, I, I, I print off the background on a piece of cardstock that I've just recently discovered that I can actually print bigger uh, pieces of cardstock. That's why the last one I think was even a little bit better because they were much wider. Um, and so I, I have a, I have a uh, paper cutter. I cut that to scale. Uh, and then I'll create a bottom, and then I throw some terrain on there, but I, it's all in my paint poop. And so when I turn the impeller fan, when I turn the impeller fan on for the backdrop, it sucks the, it sucks the backdrop flush against the back. <laughs> so Perfect. it works really well. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. Um, one more question for you. Uh, the time is, is really got away from us. It's, uh, it's really nice to chat with you, Mark, and, and time's just gone far too quick, so we might have to do a part two, I reckon. But one more question for you. What's a, um, what's a handy tip or trick you can share with, with me, but also the listeners? Um, I think, you know, I've got so many, but I'll, I'll give you uh, two quick ones. One is that the blue, I think some people call it blue tack, other folks call it poster tack. That is a very, very helpful tool to paint things that have two sides, like shields or uh, tanks, yeah. or things that you have that, it, so you can put them on there. Um, I mean, it, there's plenty of, of tools to help print, uh, help paint miniatures where you have a base. When you have something flat or something that's like a tank, um, you know, using blue tack, um, you can see that on my blog. It's very helpful. Yeah, that, uh, the that thing I would the say blue tack, the blue tack on your tanks. That that's a brilliant idea because then you get those really interesting patterns. You know what I mean? Rather than using like uh, some sort of tape or something like that, because you can bend and mold the blue tack or the po the poster tack. I think that's I think that's such a handy little tip, especially for things like tanks, as you say. And your tanks, my friend, are exceptional. I some your some of your tanks are some of my favorite models full stop that i've seen they're brilliant they're, especially the weathering that you do really really nice well that, that i appreciate and, and they're a labor of love um, as i've shared my grandfather was a world war ii uh, tank driver in yeah. an m24 chaffee um and of course this weekend here is father's day so i'll be thinking of marcus delaney uh and my and my recently passed dad tomorrow um so uh, yeah, it's, that's a cool thing. So that would be the, the first tip I would say is the blue tack. The, sec the second one is less uh, normal, but when you're going into a project, if you want to paint an army or you want to paint a platoon or a squad, uh, use your computer to both research things and also to have a plan. I can't say how much of what I do that if I didn't have a plan, or, or I didn't memorialize it on the blog, because I've actually gone back to my blog and said, oh, geez, how did I paint such and such? Well, I have all the paints listed that I use, so I can I don't have to reinvent the wheel, because I, I don't remember all the time yeah. exactly what I did. If I want something to look exactly like it did, you know, that memorializing it on the blog or even someplace that you could get back at it, I think is very helpful. That is a good tip, actually, and I wondered, I was thinking about that this afternoon uh, before I gave you a call, and again, is that, do you think you're um, particularly organized, and is that, again, a throwback to your time in the military, do you think, or is that just you, is that just Mark? I think, I like to joke, because I've had this happen throughout my career in, in, in medical sales, is people look at you and say, why are you, how, how are you disorganized? And, and, and honest to God, it is something between West Point and being an Army engineer that you get your brain hardwired to say, okay, yeah, right. you're going to build something. You know, here's the steps, 
this is what it takes. Start thinking about what you need to do to do that, and it all kind of falls into place. Yeah. You know, having a plan is a you know a very West Point kind of a thing. Yeah, see, I I think when it comes to the hobby, because it's just uh, a passion and a love, I just sort of I throw myself into it and I just grab bits and pieces here and there and everywhere. But, for instance, when it comes to my work, my, my running my own little business, I'm very organized. Like, my tools are well kept and they're put in the right places, all that kind of stuff. I even set up my truck exactly the same way every single day. But when it, yeah, as I say, when it comes to the hobby, though, it's kind of a, it's kind of like a, well, the best way I can describe it is like spreading Lego out all over the floor when you're a kid and just picking bits here and there randomly and putting it all together. That's how I approach the hobby. <laughs> but I, I admire people such as yourself and others that I've seen, especially on the blog, who, you know, every single thing is organised and they've got their paint recipes all marked out as well and listed. And I, I do think that's impressive. So my, my hat goes off to you, my friend. Well, it's whatever works. You know, certainly the stuff, when you look at what you're putting together for Hellgate, or you go back and you look at what you did for, uh, you know, your work on Rourke's Drift. Uh, but the, you, the, you know, looking at that diorama, you did your daughters, um, well, actually both of them because you did two. Uh, you know, there was some obviously planning there. You had a concept and, you know, having the concept and you might change as you go along and go, oh, maybe I'll try this. That's, that's, that's still the same thing. That's still, yeah, I, you're I think right. it's when you're you right. want to when you want to repeat something, like even as mundane as paint, I have over almost 600 paints. Well, wow. wow. that's scary <laughs> when, you, when you start thinking about, you know, yeah, well, that, maybe that's like almost a paint order. But yeah. I don't want to go to the hobby store and see something and go, did I run out of this? So <laughs> I, I have an Excel spreadsheet with my paints and I email it to myself. So when I go to the hobby store, when, when, when they finally open up again around here, um, I don't go and buy something I already have. I wow. can look at my yeah. spreadsheets and oh, I already have that, and so I don't have to buy it. That makes sense to me. I think, I think the difference is I've only got I've got ten percent of what you've got, so therefore I can keep track of it just visually, <laughs> and that that seems to work well, for of, me for now. Yeah. Some of my paints are from 1983, so they're still good. Um, so yeah. they're almost as old as you are. I've got <laughs> almost. I've got um. I've got some paints. Uh, Citadel paints, the hexagon shaped bottles uh, from I think the right. early 90s and you know what, they're still good they're still actually, there's one called Mithril Silver and it's still so fluid, like it's lovely to work with, you know what I mean and that's from 1992 or 93 or something like that, whereas the ones I buy now, I've got a real gripe about this but the ones I buy now from GW they seem to just, the bottles are pretty crappy and they just seem to dry up so quick, and what, what, what what brand of paints are you generally using? I use a lot of, I do use a lot of Citadel, I use, but I also found Vallejo, and there's different brands of Vallejo, there's a Vallejo Maro color, which is a little uh, more chunky, yes, yeah. there's a Vallejo, there's a Vallejo Game Air, and I found painting with a lot of the airbrush type paints with brushes is easy because the stuff is so thinned out and already so smooth. So I, I use Vallejo, um, I use Army Painter stuff, I think I turned you on to the washes. Um, yeah, Army Painter has a yeah. wonderful series of washes. Do you find with the Do you find with the Army Painter washes, and this is just for my own um, interest, do you find that they leave a shine though? Like I give them a good shake beforehand, but I'm still finding that there's a bit of a shine to them. Rather, and I much prefer the matte sort of finish. Do you find that? I don't believe you varnish afterwards, do you? No, I don't. I should, but I don't. Yeah, well, see, with all my stuff, somebody's going to pick up and play, and yeah. I don't want my paint job that I've spent hours and hours getting ruined. 
So I would just suggest that use a matte varnish. Vallejo makes some wonderful matte varnishes. You can brush them on okay. uh, very thin. You just thin them out, maybe 50%. And the, the, all that shine will be gone. I think our mutual blog buddy, Azazel, I think he uses a spray one called Dull Coat. And I think you can get that from the local hardware. So I might have to uh, invest in a few cans of that maybe. But, yeah, I, I do like the Army Painter um, washes, but I just find they leave the models a bit shiny. But uh, whereas the Citadel ones give them a good shake and they, they don't. But anyway, but we might... Uh, you're we might, you're you I'm sorry, so you're lucky that you're in a climate where you can use testers or rattle cans. I'm in New England where my time that I can actually use a spray can is limited. Oh, okay, I see. So that's why I went to have, have more of an airbrush. But yeah, yeah, you have testers, dull coat. Um, you could get the same effect. And, 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 and I love Azazel, too. So hey, Azazel, if you listen, Roger and everybody else, uh, and certainly Dave uh, over at the Imperfect Modeler. I look at all you guys' stuff and you inspire me, including including you, Luke. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it? Oh, thank you. Isn't it lovely? I think there's a there's a big community there, but there's an, then there's a um, a community within a community, and I like that. I like there's sort of a close knit, and it's not um it's not a guarded thing. Like we'll let anyone in, but it's but it's I don't know. We've all sort of got a similar sort of sense of humour. Um, we're all interested in roughly the same sort of things. It might be slightly like you've got your star your star ducks, and I've got my things covered in blood, and 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 Dave's got his uh, you know his steampunk miniatures or whatever he's up to. But I think there's a there's a certain camaraderie there. Would you agree? Absolutely. Like when guys like John, that John's painting is so. I love John. John needs or just needs varnish, and I don't oh, want to leave anybody out. But there's and, and, and Alex, and you know, just the paintings that we that we all follow. Um, they're they're inspiring, and they actually push me to want to get better. Well, speaking of uh, WordPress, do you want to and also Instagram? Do you want to give your uh, your handles out, mate? Sure, um, my uh, my WordPress is, is very simple because I pay the extra money. Just go to markamorin.com. Uh, you don't even have to put the WordPress in there because I own that I own that uh, domain, uh, and you'll see all my crazy stuff uh, going all the way back to uh, 2015. Um, and uh, there's all kinds of little projects in there. Follow if you'd like. Uh, take a look and let me know what you think. Uh, Instagram, I'm still trying to figure out. I think I'm Mark A. Moore in 84 uh, is what I think is on Instagram. I think that's um, right. And I'm yeah. also on Twitter. Yeah, I think I'm on, and I'm on Twitter, but I, I'm still searching to figure out how to use Twitter uh, effectively or, or other than to post what I put on the blog and it shows up on Twitter. Ah, uh, um, I see, yeah. So that's more in M-O-R-I-N, isn't it? Yes, it's very important not to have two O's. That's never a good thing. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right, my friend. All right, well, we'll leave it there. Um, but like I said, maybe later on we can do a part two. I also want to do a part two with Classic 40K uh, Warburton as well. So um, they're adding up. But that's good. That's that. You know, It's going to keep the podcast going, which is awesome. Um, but we'll say goodbye on the podcast now, Mark. But then I'll say goodbye to you personally, if that makes sense. All right, thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun. It's been great. Thank you. That's it for episode 22. Apologies for the um, the sound quality of the interview. Uh, I'm still sort of finding my way with this podcast of mine. I'm not the most tech-savvy person in the world either, so it was an old-school way of doing it by just ringing the fella. Um, <laughs> but I will be looking into WhatsApp and Skype and 
Viber and other things that might be able to improve the sound quality for you guys, especially with the international calls. I think the local calls are a bit easier. But um, yeah, I will um, persevere and I will succeed. If you'd like to email me for any reason, you can email me imperialrebelorc at gmail.com. My Instagram is imperialrebelorc. My WordPress is imperialrebelorc.wordpress.com. Com, I think it is. <laughs> you think I'd know by now. But I just I just put up posts. I don't bloody look at the address. But you'll find me. Just type in Imperial Rebel Orc into any search engine and you'll find me. So thanks, guys, and I'll see you on episode 23. Cheers. You've been listening to The Imperial Rebel Orc Podcast. <laughs>